you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Today starts a sermon series. What I'm going to try to do is just basically answer any question that you have, every question that you have on the topic of angels and demons. And just so that you know, this sermon series or a sermon series like this is really important to me because I want you to feel comfortable asking questions if you're just not sure about a thing, a few things. I want you to feel like you can get stuff straightened out in your head or there's no question that's off limits here. Because sometimes churches give you the impression there's something wrong with you if you're asking a question. Well, I don't want you to feel like that here. So this whole sermon series is built around the questions. Some of them you've already asked, and I'll just be honest, you've asked some doozies, and some of these you get a chance to ask live during this sermon today. I'll tell you how you can do that in just a moment. When the topic of angels and demons come up, as I talk to Christians, I have found that they basically fall into one of two categories when it comes to these, uh, this topic in the Bible. There are some Christians, you probably met them, they seem a little bit off their rocker to me because they're obsessed by angels and demons. They're the kind of person that thinks everything that goes wrong is because of a demon. The tire blew out on your car because there was a demon in that tire. My plant isn't growing in my living room. There must be a demon in my plant. They're obsessed by the idea of angels and demons. I've met a couple of people like that. Maybe you have too. But what I found for a lot of Christians is we swing all the way to the opposite side of the pendulum. We're not obsessed by angels and demons. We're the kind of people that are oblivious. Just go through life like it really doesn't matter at all. In fact, someone asked a very raw, honest question that I just want to answer right out of the gate on this topic. They said, does it really matter? Does it really matter what I believe about angels and demons? And by the time that we get done just with definitions today, I hope that you say, oh yeah, it matters. It matters a lot what I believe about angels and demons. When I was in seminary, seminary students are notorious for arguing the fine points of theology while people right across the street are suffering because of disease or disaster or just going through very serious difficulties. And the seminary students are all sitting around a table drinking coffee and talking about the finer points of theology. And a couple of times, professors would try to get the subject back on what's happening in the world today. And they would use this famous question, True story. I heard this question probably 50 times while I went through my theological education. Professors would ask, interrupt the conversation and ask the question, hey, how many angels can dance on the head of a needle? There's, by the way, there's no answer to this question. It was the professor's way of saying, why are you arguing about the irrelevant when people right across the street are suffering and they need you to get involved in their life? The question, does it really matter what I believe about angels and demons? The answer to this question is easy. Yes, it matters. It matters a great deal what you believe. 
fact, I'm just going to give you a sentence that I want you to stick away in the back of your mind for this entire mini-series on angels and demons. And I want this to be the overwhelming thought from everything that you hear. Not just today, but over the next couple of weeks. Here's the sentence in a nutshell. We call Jesus king around here. The reason why we use that language is because he is king over two realms, or if you want to use the name of this church, he is king over two cities. The two realms that I'm referring to come specifically out of the Bible. I'll show you from Colossians chapter 1 exactly what I'm talking about. But the name two cities refers to the city of man, the realm that you and I live in physically right here on planet earth. It also refers to the city of God the spiritual or the heavenly city. And what I need you to know is that Jesus is king over two cities, the city of God and the city of man. He's king over two realms, the here and the heavenly realm. And just because you don't see it, just because you can't touch it or you can't measure it with a scientific instrument doesn't make angels or demons any less real. In fact, the Bible doesn't want you to miss the fact that Jesus is king over two realms. So the one verse that really is going to be the overarching verse for everything that you hear from me today, it's Colossians 1.16. And here's how Colossians 1.16 describes King Jesus and his authority over two cities or two realms. It says this, it says, or do, wait a second, let me go back and just read for you Colossians 1.16 because it says it this way, for everything was created by him. Colossians 1 is referring to Jesus. Listen to the everything now. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things have been created through him. Jesus created you, and he created the angels. But Colossians 1.16 ends with these words, three words that you really need to hang on to for this whole sermon series. Everything was created by him and for him. You exist on planet earth to bring glory to King Jesus. The reason he made angels in the first place was for his glory and to declare that he is a good savior to all creation, the stuff that you can see and the part of creation that you can't see. Now, what we're going to do for just a few moments, because this word angels is an English word, we're going to start at the end and work our way backwards. We're going to start with the English word angels, and we're going to work our way backwards And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. By the way, there are so many terms today. I'm going to put them on the screen, but I'm going to move fast to save time so that you can ask questions live today. So if you have the mobile app downloaded, look right down there at the bottom of the page for today's sermon. There's a button in that orange button in the middle of that page that gives you a guide. You can download this and print it at your house Go back for you Bible nerds and read all of the verses that go along with the names that I'm going to use today. Now, if I say something and it prompts you to think about a question, I'm going to try to answer that question live. So in this room, you can pull out your phone right now. If you're on Facebook or YouTube 
or our live channel, type in a question right there in the post, in the notes, and we'll grab those questions, and I'm going to save a few minutes at the end of this sermon to try to answer those questions for you live during this service. The English word angels really refers to four general categories in the Bible. The first general category that it refers to are the category that you and I would think of no matter what you have in your mind about this word angels. It's used about 350 times in the Christian standard version of the Bible. Now forgive me if this sermon today feels like a lecture on hermeneutics. That word just means the science of interpreting the Bible. Forgive me if this feels like an academic lesson. But I need you to understand, when the Bible uses this word angels, there's a range of meaning in there that it uses. And every Bible translation is a little bit different because when the people translating the Bibles make a decision, they have to decide what exactly do we mean by this word. So in the Christian Standard Bible, this word appears somewhere around 300 to 350 times, depending on how you translate it in the entire Bible. But in order to understand where Jesus sits with the rest of the angels, I want to point you to a statement that he made at the end of his life here on earth. He was being persecuted. He was on trial. They were accusing him of a capital offense. He was about to be executed and he could have defended himself. He could have protected himself. And in Matthew chapter 26, he wants the people that are accusing him to know the power that he has over the angels. Listen to Matthew 26 verse 53. Jesus answers his religious, uh, these religious rulers by this statement, or do you think that, or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? What Jesus is saying by this statement, by the way, a Roman legion in Jesus's day was about 12,000 people. He is saying, if I were to call my father in heaven, he could send 150,000 angels to defend me if I wanted to, but I'm not going to make that call because the reason that I came is so that I could be a sacrifice on your behalf. The word angel, the English word angel traces its roots back to a word in the New Testament, which traces an idea back to the Old Testament. Now, very briefly, you are aware that the Bible was written in two primary languages, Greek in the New Testament, angelios is where we get the English word angel, and Hebrew in the Old Testament. There's a couple of chapters in the book of Daniel, a couple of verses sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, and in the language of Jesus' day, some phrases or words in the New Testament in Aramaic. These are the three languages of the Bible. And when this word angel shows up, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, here's the kind of words that this refers to. Most often, and this is ranked in order of appearance in your Bible, most often this word really refers to, notice the letters, lowercase sons of God, meaning God's created heavenly beings. 
Jesus created these beings. We are not sure exactly when he created these beings, but he created these beings for a very specific purpose. Check this out. Sometimes this word refers to little g, very specifically, little g gods, meaning supernatural beings. You can find references to this on that little handout that I gave you, some of the major places in the Bible where you'll see these words being used. Like Daniel, uh, like in the book of Genesis when he refers to the sons of God or in Psalm 82 when he refers to them as gods. But it will also refer to them as ministers. Psalm 103 calls angels God's ministers on earth. Psalm 78 refers to them as God's messengers. And when Joshua is struggling, he's at the edge of the promised land. He's getting ready to go inherit the land that God has been promising for 400 years. God sends his commander to go meet with Joshua and encourage Joshua and tell Joshua to be strong. In Joshua chapter 5, this shiny angel shows up at the border of the Jordan River to meet with Joshua when Joshua is afraid. You know, when you see the phrase in your Bible, the Lord of hosts, that word host is actually the word for army. Literally translated, that phrase says, the Lord of angel armies is on your side. And the one who made the angels, the one who can call 12 legions of angels to defend his son is also on your side. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of angel armies. And that word, that phrase shows up over and over again, especially in the, in the book of Psalms. You'll sometimes see them referred to as cherub. The plural form of the word cherub is cherubim, and this word shows up in Genesis, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel. God sends his messenger envoy angels to people on earth in the book of Psalms. When Isaiah sees a vision of God in heaven, Isaiah sees angels around God. Isaiah refers to these in chapter 6 as the seraphim of heaven, God's angels that are in his holy throne room and are worshiping him in heaven. And Daniel calls these angels that show up watchers, watchers over men, watchers over nations. There is an archangel listed by name for us in the Bible. His name is Michael. And apparently there's some rank among angels. And Michael is ranked above the other angels, kind of in charge of the angels. In 1 Thessalonians, in Daniel, in Jude, in Revelation, Michael the archangel is listed for us by name. And in Peter and in Jude, the angels are often referred to as the glorious ones. These are English, these are where you would see the English word angels, a translation of these phrases in your Bible. That's the first and probably the most often category used in the Bible, God's heavenly beings. The second category 
created apparently at the same time the heavenly category or the heavenly beings were created. These are no longer heavenly beings. We would call them the beings that were kicked out of heaven. They're the phrase that you and I would use to call demons. Demons are listed a lot in the Bible. They're listed a lot in the New Testament, but they also show up in the Old Testament. Like 200 times at least, demons are mentioned for us in the Bible. And I told you today that this worship service is actually an act of warfare. Mitch reminded you that this is warfare The physical world is warfare for your flesh, and angels and demons are fighting a battle for your soul. That language comes directly from Ephesians chapter 6, when the Bible tells Christians to have your armor ready and be on guard against the dark spiritual forces that are at work to undermine your faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. This is reference to the demons, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this, meaning right now, darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. There is a real evil that's trying to undermine your faith, trying to undermine your soul, or trying to pull your attention away from God. And there's struggles and temptations that you will deal with that are flesh and physically oriented. The Bible makes it abundantly clear. There are demons that are at work against your soul. Somebody sent in the question, when you see false gods mentioned by name in the Old Testament, like the god Baal. Is that a reference to a specific demon? And the answer to this question is, well, yes and no. In fact, I want to show you all of the occurrences that Bible translators use to refer to demons in both the Old and the New Testament. Here's the multitude of ways demons are described for us in the Bible. They're described for us as evil spirits in 1 Samuel, in Isaiah, in Deuteronomy. They're described as unclean spirits all the way through the New Testament, but especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the book of Revelation. This is the most prevalent name for demons in the New Testament, unclean spirits, or your translation of the Bible may call them evil spirits. Demons, are that word is used by name in Leviticus 17 and in 2 Chronicles. But it's often described as beings that are in opposition to God. There was a rebellion in heaven, and many of the demons tried to get the insanity of this, overthrow God. And in the process, God sentenced these demons to uh, eternity apart from him. One of these days, Jesus says that hell itself was not created for humans. It was created for the demons that were in God's presence when they opposed God and rebelled against him. False prophets, all false false prophecy 
the Bible makes very clear, is the work of evil spiritual forces. It's the work of demons. But now the Bible is going to list a few demons for us by name. And one of those demons that it lists by name is the demon Belial in 2 Chronicles. In 2 Kings and in the book of Chronicles, it lists the demon Beelzebub. By the way, in 2 Kings, it tells us Beelzebub is the false god over the Philistine city of Ekron. In fact, in parentheses, your translation may say Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, referring to this specific demon by name. Sometimes demons are called satars in the, or satyrs in the Bible. This is a reference to hairy demons, whatever that means. There's a female donkey demon that comes up. In the book of Isaiah, it is mentioned by name using the name Lilith. And then there is the Azazel, the goat demon. The goat demon that in Leviticus 16, the sins of Israel are placed on the goat demon. and The goat demon leaves the camp of Israel and takes the sins of, of Israel away from the camp. This goat demon is mentioned by name, Leviticus 16, as the demon Azazel. But check this out. And this may, in, this may you may find this interesting in the book of Hosea, in the book of Habakkuk, the Bible will sometimes refer to plagues as the work of demons. And if you're sitting there thinking, wait a second, Jeff, are you saying that COVID is the work of demons? I don't know that I can say that, but Habakkuk and Hosea would tell you that there are evil spiritual forces behind some of those plagues that wreck humanity. It will sometimes refer to them in Deuteronomy, Habakkuk in, in the book of Psalms as fire demons or as firebolt or flame demons, meaning fires themselves may be started by false gods or demons. Psalm 95 calls them the terror at night. There really is some evil in the darkness out there that wants to hurt you, and that is the terror of night demons. The king of terrors, Job 18, calls the result of demons. And the great cold in Isaiah and in Psalms is referred to as a demon. Now I want you to focus specifically on these last two phrases on the screen. You see the Satan. Notice the and Satan are both lowercase. Because Satan is actually a translation of the word accuser. Somebody standing up and accusing you before God of doing wrong. Satan's name itself is the name accuser. And anytime somebody is accusing a Christian of doing wrong in the presence of God, it's a Satan, an act of Satan, lowercase. But then there are specific references to Satan called Lucifer, the serpent, the dragon, the beast. In fact, I used a lot of references to Satan in a Wednesday night study that we did as a church just a couple of weeks ago. Go back and watch the last four or five weeks and you'll hear lots of information from me on the spiritual world. Here's what I need you to know as your pastor and as a former warrior from the United States Army, I need you to know that there really is a spiritual battle happening around you. 
there really are spiritual forces out there that want to hurt you and undermine your faith. And please, I beg you, don't be obsessed by demons, but don't go through life oblivious because they are there to hurt you or to undermine your faith. Now, the last two categories I set apart separately on purpose because of these two uses of the word angels don't fit what we just read. Those heavenly beings that were created by God, the good angels of heaven, and those heavenly beings that were kicked out, the angels that fell from God's grace in heaven. And this being is definitely different than everything else that you read about in the Bible. About 60 times... There is a reference to not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Now look up here. Do you see how the word Lord is all caps? When you see this reference about 60 times in your Bible, the angel, sometimes some Bible translations will capitalize the word A or the letter A in the word angels, the angel of the Lord. It is a specific reference when Lord is all caps to a very specific person in the Bible. The first time that this shows up is way back in the book of Genesis. Abraham and Sarah were, were waiting for God to give them a son, but God was taking too long. So like us, they took matters into their own hands, and Sarah said, Abraham, why don't you just have a relationship with my handmaid, my servant girl? She got pregnant and had a baby. And then after she had this baby, Abraham, or Sarah's mistress, um, started to become a little bit more important than Sarah was comfortable with. So Sarah treated her harshly, and Sarah's servant girl, her mistress, a girl by the name of Hagar, got angry and ran away. And in Genesis chapter 16, she runs, Hagar runs into the desert. And the angel of the Lord meets her face to face and has a physical conversation with, with Hagar in the desert. I want you to pay close attention to his words when he speaks to Hagar in the desert. Uh, Genesis 16 Verses 9 and 10. The angel of the Lord, all caps, said to her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, the Bible doesn't want you to miss who's talking here, so it says it again. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring. Notice, he did not say, God will greatly multiply your offspring. I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will become too numerous, too many to count. She has a baby. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arabic nations. You will have so many grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you couldn't count them if you wanted to. You go back and you go submit to Sarah, your mistress. This angel of the Lord reference, when it shows up in the Bible, people realize who's standing in front, of their, in front of their face, and usually they will fall down on the ground like dead, and sometimes they will say, we have just seen the face of God. In fact, what the Bible will describe in some of those 60 occurrences of the angel of the Lord is a physical conversation between a man and another man. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you see this phrase in the Bible, 
This is God taking on human form. We can just call him by his first name. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. And Jesus sometimes will show up in the Old Testament. And when he shows up, they will use the phrase, the angel of the Lord, to refer to him. He shows up repeatedly in the Old Testament. But you don't see this phrase in the New Testament because now we know who the angel of the Lord is by first name. This is a reference to Jesus. And I just want you to know, church, that God loves you so much that he doesn't leave you alone to figure life out on your own. It's not like he's sitting in heaven, sipping sweet tea and doesn't care what's happening in your life. The amount of times that the angel of the Lord shows up in the Bible is proof that God loves you and that he's not left you to go through it alone. That sometimes he will show up personally to make sure that things go the way that he plans for them to go in your life. And when you see the angel of the Lord, all caps in the Bible, you're seeing a reference to Jesus Christ himself showing up in the Old Testament, which may be hard for a few of us to understand. But when Moses is meeting with the angel of the Lord, God says, I speak to Moses like a man speaks to another man, like face to face. We have a conversation together, meaning Jesus just shows up in the tabernacle and has a conversation with Moses and talks to him face to face. By the way, the first time that God shows up to Moses, the angel of the Lord appears in a bush that starts to burn and it doesn't consume. And God reminds Moses, hey, you better take your shoes off, Moses, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. God is standing on earth in your midst. So take your shoes off because you're in my presence, big boy. The last time, the last category that the word angel is mentioned. It's only twice. It's in the New Testament. It's found in Luke chapter 9 and in James chapter 2. And this one was a revelation to me this week. In fact, this one kind of caught me off guard. Did you know that sometimes when Jesus sends out his people, they're referred to as angelios or angels in Luke chapter 9? Do you know that when Joshua was sending two spies into the promised land to go see what the city of Jericho was like in James chapter 2. The Bible tells us that these spies were God's messengers to a woman by the name of Rahab, who apparently has guys show up to her house all the time. James chapter 2 refers to God's messengers twice in the Bible. Luke chapter 9, James chapter 2. You are called an angel. Here's what James chapter 2 verse 25 says. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the angels and sending them out by a different route? Moses sent two or I mean Joshua sent two guys to go visit Jericho. They went to visit Rahab. Rahab took care of these two guys and then sent them back to the camp of Israel. And James interprets that as two angels, two messengers from God who showed up to visit Rahab. And by the way, Rahab and her entire family were spared when the city of Jericho was utterly destroyed because she believed in these messengers. What I'm saying is you are God's messenger. 
His messenger angels, when you go to minister to people, when you go to love on people, when you go to share the good news of Jesus to people, you are God's messengers. This is why getting in a life group is such a big deal for us as a church. Because we want you to minister and to serve other people. We want other people to minister and to serve you. And that ministry is really what Luke chapter 9 and James chapter 2 describes as the Lord's messengers, the Lord's angels. So I'm going to say a prayer for us. I'm going to save a couple of minutes to be able to answer a few of the questions you might have sent in online from your house or from here. But before I say a prayer for us, I want you to keep in mind something that you just heard today. Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to come to earth in physical form. He could have called on 150,000 angels to be at his side and to defend him, but he didn't. He was willing to freely give his life up to purchase you back from your sin. And maybe today you need to have your sins forgiven and your soul changed for the first time. If that's you sitting at home or in this room, I'm going to pray for you. But if you're a Christian, I hope everyone watching this in this room can say this second statement on the screens. Based on what I've just heard today, I will not go through life oblivious or ignorant. I will be aware of the spiritual battle that's going on around me. And I may not be able to see it with my eyes and hear it with my ears, but it doesn't make it any less real. That's my prayer for us right now. So would you just bow? Would you let me pray for you specifically? And then maybe answer a couple of questions that came in today. Father, I want to just pray for me. Would you forgive me when I tend to think that what I see with my eyes, what I can touch with my hands, that's all there is? Because your Bible makes it abundantly clear. There is an entire realm, a whole spiritual world out there. I can't see it with my eyes. I can't touch it with my hands. But it doesn't make it any less real. And Father, would you help not just me, but all of your people be aware of the spiritual battle for their soul that's happening all around them every day. Not just the physical battle to tempt them to do wrong, but the spiritual battle between heavenly forces That Ephesians chapter 6 described for us today. God, maybe somebody is standing on the edge of surrendering to you. And maybe right now they realize that if I don't nail this one down, if I don't get this wrong, if I don't get this right, I will be in in the clutches of evil for the rest of eternity. And maybe somebody who's watching this broadcast right now is just crying out a prayer of faith that says, God, forgive me. God, change me. God, clean me up and do what only you can do right now. And maybe they're just simply asking that you would forgive their sins and change their soul and turn them into a new person, that you would make them literally one of your messengers, one of your servants. You would make them like one of your angels. I pray, Father, that your will would be done and that you would be glorified right now as people respond to what they're hearing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.